Coming up on this week's episode of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, we talk to the legendary Claire London. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knaus. Welcome to episode number 27 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com. And I'm Will from willknaus.com. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you today? I'm super. We're on vacation. <laughs> well, yes. Technically, we are. Yes, we well, are. Well, yes. I'm sorry. When this particular episode's air, this episode airs, we will be uh, in an airplane. Yep. Flying across country, coming home. From vacation. Yes. Uh, so, um, this is another instance of us um, recording an episode about seven days early because yeah. we are leaving in a couple of days to the East Coast and we're going to make our New York, spring New York trip. Yes. See a bunch of shows. Yeah. Go to Rainbow Book Fair. Mm-hmm. All that good stuff. So, you know, since we're kind of in the weird time space this week, we don't get to talk about The Voice and we don't get to talk about Dancing with the Stars and we just hope that Niall does well. <laughs> or... Okay. First of all, we all know Niall is going to do fantastic. Second of all, all of our listeners are probably like, oh, thank God, no more talk about The Voice. <laughs> or Dancing with the Stars, shout up about Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, I'm so sure. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So, you have a new release coming up. I do. A new old release. A new old release. New in this format. Mm, that's, oh, ooh. <gasps> new looks and great taste. <laughs> yes, exactly. Awesome. Uh, my very first paperback collection is coming out. Uh, JMS Books is collecting my shorts and novellas, mm-hmm. uh, which includes Adventures of Jake Number One, uh, Heatwave Tuscaloosa, Rivals, and Make the Right Choice into a paperback collection that is called Sweet and Sexy. Ooh, yeah, so flirty, so flirty. Now these stories have never been in print before. They have. Ne- uh, that's not quite true. Um, Adventures of Jake was in an anthology called Nerdvana. Almost an eternity ago. That was back in 2009. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Rivals actually was in the JMS paperback of, and ebook for that matter, of top 10 gay fiction of 2014. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time they're all collected together under my name in my collection. Uh, paperback is on pre order right now at JMS Books, comes out officially April 30th. Okay. Uh, I'm really excited about this. Because it puts Make the Right Choice into print um, for the hat trick fans out there who got the other hat trick books in print. This is the first time that Matt and Leo's story comes in paperback. So you can put that on your shelf with your hat trick books. Cool. Okay. So uh, something to look forward to at the end of the month. Yes. Now, despite the fact that we are recording this early, it is still April... Which means it is still Autism Awareness... Oh, God, I screwed that up. I wish I could have done that better. It still means uh, April is Autism Awareness Month. There we go. There you go. Yes, okay. it is. Tammy Middleton, uh, who writes as T.M. Smith, mm-hmm. as we've talked about, yes, uh, is running her annual Author Sign-Off for Autism Awareness auction this month. There's a lot of alliteration in that. Yeah, see, it's not easy to say. <laughs> it's not easy to say. 
This has uh, more than 30 authors and publishers and some voiceover artists participating to help raise money for autism. Uh, and this is a great thing. Uh, as we talked about last week, uh, I have my set of hat trick books in there that I will sign for whoever wins them. Uh, some of the other authors who are participa- participating include Kendall Alexander, R.J. Scott, Sarah York, uh, Rick Reed, Andrew Gray, Charlie Cochet, Reese Ford, and the list goes on and on. Yeah, a whole lot of people. Yeah. You can find out complete details on everything that's available at ttcbooksandmore.com by clicking on the Autism Awareness Badge that's on that front page. Or if you want to go straight to that uh, information, you can come to the show notes page of biggayfictionpodcast.com for this episode where we'll link you right to that information. Cool. Yeah. All right. It's a great cause. I'm very happy to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually tempted to bid on some of those lots because oh. there's some pretty cool stuff going on in there. Okay. Okay, well, maybe I'll, I'll take a look as well. You should take a look. We might, wanna, we might <laughs> both s- want something. I spend all our money, don't you worry. <laughs> so you finished a book recently. I did. I've been on a roll with the books. Yeah, you can take a drink of water if you want. You'll let me have some water? Sure. Talk to the folks while I have some water. I, I uh, have been catching up on my reading. I think um, when we're in April right now, I think towards the beginning of March I hit a a weird patch. You know where you get to the point where you're, you're not exactly burned out, but you're like, you don't know what to read next mm-hmm. and whatever you pick up, you're like, eh. I kind of hit a bumpy patch like that at the beginning of March. And, um, I'm just now getting back into the swing of things mm-hmm. and, and reading. I've been trying to... Ca- I was catching up. I don't know what happened exactly because I felt like I was always reading, but my Goodreads badge was harassing me that I was behind. Oh, no. Harassed by Goodreads. <laughs> Not just Goodreads, but a badge <laughs> on Goodreads was harassing me. Um, so I've been trying to pick up the pace a little bit. Um, okay. So I read... Uh, we talked about this before the show. Say, say this name. So the, oh, it's so easy. It's not that hard. B. A. Tortugas. Yes. Yay. Trial by Fire, uh, which is what Dreamspun Desire book. Uh, absolutely delightful. I mean, these books have consistently been just melting my heart, and this was one too. Two cattle ranchers, and we're talking big time cattle ranchers. These people are rich, both of them. One's an Australian, one's a Texan. Uh, the Australian comes to Texas. To get his sister's baby back. Um, his sister ran away, didn't like the security of being in the family, so she ran off with a rodeo rider who was part of this family, ran off to Texas, got married, had a kid. They both ended up and died. Uh-oh. Yeah, sister and the, and the <laughs> brother-in-law. So Lachlan comes over to Texas to get the baby back and bring it home, but then he finds out that it's been adopted by uh, his brother-in-law, who was the twin of the, of the one who died. Holden's a nice guy. These two don't start off well, but then circumstances draw them closer and closer together in romance forms. And Cool. It's just delightful. Good. I wrote a whole review over on jeffandwill.com so you could check that out. But like all the Dreams ones I've read so far, big thumbs up. Cool. Good to know. So you should pick this up and, and, and check it out. I'll, I uh, will look forward to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're, next, you're, next on my list. You're working through them. Mm-hmm. I'm reading... Ariel Takana's right now, which I will have done by the next episode we record. Okay. Um, it's also, guess what? A delight. <laughs> <laughs> of 
course it is. Yes. Okay. So we finally caught up with the rest of the world and finally saw The Martian. Yes. Oh, my God. So good. Really damn good. Oh, my goodness. It was nice to see what I would call a sci-fi epic that didn't involve things blowing up every five minutes. Mm. Um, Yeah, there's a few things that blow up because, you know, Matt Damon goes through hell up there. Um, But I really liked it. I mean, everything about it. Um, and I actually could have done without all the stuff that happened on Earth. I mean, it was fine, but really, Matt alone on Mars was really good stuff. Um, if you haven't seen it, you don't want spoilers, you might want to jump ahead a little bit, maybe. Um, what is there to spoil? I don't know what there is to spoil, because I think it's been pretty clear how the, how the movie actually ends. <laughs> but if you don't want the nuances of it, maybe you jump ahead. Um I loved his banter with the log camera as he was going through and planting his potatoes and doing this and that along the way. Mm-hmm. His banter, um, especially about the disco music his commander left behind, was a hoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have to say that I love that it ended with I Will Survive that has a remarkable number of space references in it. Well, it actually, out. the song does. You're right. <laughs> it was kind of funny. You're right. Uh, kudos to the filmmakers who really wrapped in some well-placed disco in 70s tunes uh, in the film. And and to Matt Damon, who has always been one of my favorite actors, um, but continually kind of finds new nuances to his performances and different characters that I really like. Because this is, like, so different, you know, than when he was playing uh, Bourne and so different from Goodwill Hunting and so different from uh, We Bought a Zoo and... Mm-hmm. Everything. I mean, yeah. just. And it was so tense. Oh my God, it was so tense. I mean, you knew how it was going to end because you just know, but oh, it was so tense. Yeah. Kind of like Apollo 13 tense, even though you knew how that story ended. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was um, incredibly. I was struck by how beautiful it was and how there were often some sweeping panoramic shots of the Martian landscape that felt like a grand like nature documentary they're mm. so so beautifully composed but so real and um it really puts you in the place mm-hmm. uh, with matt i thought it was it's a really it's a really good movie it's a really beautiful movie it was um was it really scott yeah um yeah who who directed Prometheus, correct? I don't know if it was Ridley or the other or the brother whose name I'm blanking on did Prometheus. No, it wasn't. It wasn't Ridley there. certainly did the original Alien. Well, yeah. And Aliens. Prometheus sucked. Or yeah, Prometheus did suck. That was a dog. This so, was a reminder that this was a reminder that Ridley knows how to direct a film. Yes. <laughs> anyway, it's really, really good. And it makes me want to go back and read the book. Because I've never read the book. And I'm curious how the book and the movie connect to each other. From what I understand, I think it gets a little deep in the weeds on the science side of things. So I have no desire to read uh, the actual book. I think the movie was good enough for me. I'm good with Matt just saying he's going to science the shit out of it. That's right. And move on. That's right. <laughs> so another movie that we watched uh, recently uh which I was so happy to see. Uh, Karen Kingsbury's The Bridge Part 2 uh, on the Hallmark Channel. Um, 
back in a way earlier episode. We've we've talked about Hallmark movies a few times here, and the bridge kind of screwed people over a bit earlier in the year when part one ended during the Christmas movie palooza that they had, and they told they told you to wait till next year. It's like, wait, what? No. And apparently enough people complained about it that uh, they rolled it out on Hallmark Movies and Mysteries over Easter. Uh, and then got a, a showing of the Hallmark Channel too. I loved it. I've got to read this book. I need to get this book, read the book, and see how that was. But the, the movies were so good. They made me want to open a bookstore so bad. <laughs> um. But yeah, everything that the bookstore did, how it brought people together, how it put books in their hands, how the community rallied around it, it was just a delight. <laughs> and and I think you liked it too, but I don't I don't think you quite got the punch from it that I did. I did enjoy the movie. I, on the other hand, do not want to open a bookstore because I have worked retail and I understand what that actually means. The the world of the bridge, which is the name of the bookstore in the actual in the movie, uh, the 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 world of the bookstore is a magical fantasy land bookstore. It's not a real you know retail establishment. It's like kids in romance novels. They're cute and they're precocious <laughs> and they're adorable a hundred percent of the time when we all know. That kids are a giant pain in the ass, and <laughs> they're not like that. So yes, I I was viewing it for a, through a more realistic lens. That's yeah, fine, but I enjoyed the film. Yeah, it was really good. And if I recall correctly, you were opposed to watching it at all because Ted McGinley was in it. Hmm. We all know that if Ted McGinley is in a movie or a TV show, it's gonna suck. So not the case in this one. Yeah. So. Despite the Ted McGinley factor, um, yes. it was pretty darn good. So if you have not experienced the bridge for yourself, um, I do know from my research that uh, both parts will air on Hallmark Movies and Mystery April 23rd. Okay. Check your listings for the time. Yeah. And I'm psyched that Spring Fest has started um, on the Hallmark Channel. So there's at least some movies that are starting to roll out. They started April 2nd. We've actually got the one from last night recorded right now. Hopefully we'll watch that tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, new movies coming our way. Yay! That's at least a full month of new Hallmark movies, I think. And perhaps within those movies, this commercial will air that we're going to talk about right now. Yes. Cookie Monster in Siri is like the best commercial ever. In a really long time. It's really, really funny. I mean, <laughs> we watch, I'd say, at least 95% of our programming on TiVo. Yes. So we're zipping over commercials all the time. There are instances, even though after the first time we saw this commercial, that we will still stop and watch the Cookie Monster Siri commercial in the midst of whatever programming we're watching. It is the most perfect. It's great for Siri. It's great for Cookie Monster. It's probably great for Sesame Street. But his longing for those cookies, you really feel that it's the longest minute in his life. Yes. <laughs> I think we've all been there. <laughs> we all know the existential angst the Cookie Monster's going through. Absolutely. Why won't the timer go it's faster? It's an understandable situation. Yeah. A watched cookie never cooks. Mm, yeah. Wise words. Thank you. Yeah. I made that up on the spot right this minute. Oh, so smart. I know, right? So part of why we're in New York, um, we're seeing a lot of shows. It's a ridiculous amount of shows. Almost embarrassing amount of shows. And one of those that we're going to see is Waitress, which is written by Grammy-nominated Sarah Bareilles. 
um, based on the film of the same name from a while ago. A couple of years ago, yeah. Many years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we'll name drop. We know Sarah. <laughs> she sang at our commitment ceremony back in 97 when she, I believe, was still in high school. Yeah, uh, yes. Yeah, because she was still living here and hadn't gone off to college yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're psyched to see it um, and excited for her that this looks to be a hit for her. One of the things that cropped up um, right after the show started previews, which was Good Friday, so back on March 25th, that first week of previews, they had a technical stop um, in the middle of the first act. Some piece of set didn't move or it was supposed to. And Sarah was there because she's one of the writers, and typically on a Broadway show during previews, all the writers are there taking notes, keeping track of things in case they're going to make little tweaks. She came up on the stage and sang. Which was cute enough, but of course, you know, people with their cell phones caught it. And there's a couple clips on Playbill uh, that we'll link to in the show notes. Um, she sang, uh, God, what's the, uh, what's the Little Mermaid song? Part of Your World, um, which was a hoot, because she sang it with the audience. And then she also sang one of the cut songs uh, from Waitress, uh, which she forgot the words to, and somebody from behind the curtain helps her out <laughs> singing it, which was a hoot. Um, so check those out. If you're a Sarah Burles fan or a fan of Waitress, uh, we'll link to those in the show notes. It's just really cute. Um, I wish we'd been there that night because that would have been adorable. We will be there soon. We will be there soon. And, you know, we don't need a technical stop. We've been, we were talking about this before the show. I think we've only been to the one show with the technical stop, which was, you know, the beleaguered thing that was Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Mm-hmm. And they stopped and they were stuck for a little bit. I think they'd even forced us into an intermission for it. I think they just made us sit there. We waited for a couple of minutes. Maybe it was close to intermission. And then we had intermission and then came back. But yeah. Haven't really done too many of those. So, But we wish the best of luck to Sarah and Waitress as it moves towards its opening night, which will be later in April. Question of the week. Question of the week last week was uh, espoused by Bob Glasscock, our uh, interviewee and uh, guest on the show, he wanted to know what comics do you like to read online? Now, since we are, of course, recording this a week ahead of time, we don't know how you answered that particular question. Hopefully you did. I hope you did and gave us some good recommendations. Um, if you'd like to read the re- recommendations of the fellow listeners of the podcast, you can certainly check those out at... BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Yeah. For so- this episode's show notes. Mm-hmm. Please do so. Yeah. Whatever, even though we're traveling, whatever we get over the course of the week, we will put on there so you can see what it is. Yeah. So, our interview this week is Claire London. The lovely, the incomparable. The legend, as I believe you called her at the top of the The show. Legendary. Um, Yes, we love Claire. Uh, We caught up with Claire at the Dream Spitter Conference in March, Mm -hmm. and we went for our first outdoor interview. Uh, in the lovely Orlando sunshine. It was a delightful day out for that interview. Um, I first met Claire. This is the first book I ever got from Claire. The first one I read called Sparks Fly from 2008. Uh, We met Claire and some other Dream Spinner authors at the very first Rainbow Book Fair uh, back in uh, 2009, Um, which was awesome. She was a delight then and she's a delight now. Um... And we have followed her career for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. And she covers a lot in this interview um, from what her from two of her most recent releases uh, that are one that's just out and one that's uh, in pre-order right now, as well as what her writing process is and what it's been like for her to kind of shift from 
full-time career into writing, but also now dabbling in her accountant, uh, being an accountant a little bit. Uh, so kind of leading a, a more split life, but not the nine to five. Um, I think I've introed it enough. Okay. So let's go to it. Let's get to it. So we are here with Claire London. Hello. We are yeah. hanging out outside at the Dream Spinner okay. Conference in Orlando. Our very first outside interview. I'm very honored. Interview al fresco. Yes. <laughs> Great yes. way to put it. <laughs> With weather that couldn't be more different than London. Yeah. <laughs> or from or or in our part of Northern California too. Oh. Rain, 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 fog, 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 Is rain it? for you guys. Oh, but yeah. Rain, cold. So for our listeners who don't know you, and all of you should know Claire. Yeah, but I, I understand if you don't. <laughs> Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Claire London. I'm an author here at the Dream Spinner Conference. Um, I come from London, as you may guess from the accent. I write about London. I write gay romance. I have done for about 10 years. Been published for about 10 years. Also wrote fan fiction before then. What kind um, of fan fiction? What were you fanning oh, over? Oh, I was Gundam Wing. I know, everybody. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, because there's a small group of people here that came with me from the fandom. It's quite fun. It's okay. a meet-up now after all those years. It's a Japanese anime series. Yeah, five yeah. teenage pilots piloting huge mecha machines. What's not to love? Indeed. And Slash. So, <laughs> um, loved writing. I mean, I've always written. I've always been a writer. Also an accountant. So I mix the words and the figures. It goes with what they were saying in a session earlier this morning, that you've got the fire and the algebra. I, I you've got the algebra part too. next to that, <laughs> because it is. And it's, um, I mean, we might talk, I think we're talking later about the method of writing and those sorts of things. But I am very then precise and um, numeric with my, my writing <laughs> process. Really sad. What um, prompted you to move from fandom into uh, your own unique original mm. fiction? Because there are huge benefits to fan fiction and you build a community, you build yeah. friendships. But after a while, I got tired of writing about the same characters. Mm -hmm. You couldn't make them do what you wanted. You couldn't kill people off. You couldn't create... I mean, I did write in what they call AU alternate universe mm -hmm. so it wasn't canon but it just got frustrating and I wanted to write original from from first principles and this was 10 years ago yeah which is a long long time yeah, in this yeah, particular genre yeah what what was that who were you okay I'm sorry yeah For, what, was, what was your first uh, original piece published and who was it with my first uh, rather topically was branded which has just been re-released oh, yeah, yeah. at DSP okay. Publications. Yeah. Um, I wrote it as a nano, a nano piece. Mm -hmm. I wrote the first book because it's a combination of two and finished it off and submitted that to Dream Spinner. They said, could you do a follow-up because this wasn't a happy ending? <laughs> because in those days I didn't know about all the romance tropes. Right. So there are it's got male female in it it's got male male it's got uh non-exclusive relationships it's well it's an alternate world it's fantasy it's everybody has a good time and it did but it didn't end it was high angst and it didn't end happily and so i wrote a follow-up okay 
and then a few years later they combine them both into branded and it's just been re-released with a kick-ass cover the cover is the awesome. cover is it's gorgeous I, I, you know i know i'm biased but it's no as soon as you put it up oh. on facebook i'm like wow oh, oh. and kane at her finest so it's kind of celebrating your 10th anniversary then, the re-release after a fashion. I yes, yeah, a year or so off, I think. But yes, because I think I wrote it for the two, whatever it would have been, 2006, Nano. Yeah. yeah. Wow. wow, congrats. <laughs> What's coming up new in your pipeline? I've learned a lot since then. Well, it's, I'm also got involved in the new line at Dream Spinner, the Dream Spun Desires, where they're taking the Harley Quinn tropes mm -hmm. and re-imaging them, mm -hmm. if you like, for male males. So I've got one of those coming out later this year. Awesome. Called Romancing the Wrong Twin. It's been, <laughs> oh God, it was fun to write. Romancing oh, the wait. Wrong Twin. That's going to be a good one. Yeah, I can just tell yeah. by the title. I think, you know, I think they talk about tropes and being perhaps cliched, whatever. That was actually, I found quite empowering to write. Mm -hmm. It was just fun. And I'm also doing some more in the With a Kick ice cream series that I do with Sue Brown. So there's another one of those coming out in the next month. Awesome. Called Double Scoop. So they've all got ice cream related titles. Uh, that's, I think, I have actually been talking to Dream Spinner as well about some of my novellas re-releases but with a very strong London theme mm -hmm. so we're, we're going to be working on something perhaps provisionally entitled London Lads okay a series of novellas of romance talk to us about with a kick a little bit yeah that's that's right. a series that you and Sue Brown do you don't co-write them per se but no. you you alternate who's doing the books yeah, exactly how did that come about it's I think we were ourselves talking about let we'd like to work together even if it's not on, as you say, a single manuscript. Uh, we both live quite close to each other. We were meeting up. We both love London. And I can't, she'd been to, I think, an alcoholic ice cream shop in London once. <laughs> and we'd found it online and it's now vanished, of course, somewhere around Soho. But we thought, what a brilliant idea. Just people that come and go through the shop, um, but each have their own story. Mm -hmm. So we've taken it alternately, um, and I've done a couple of shorter stories as well for her. And I'm just about to release, Double Scoop will be the story of Patrick and Lee, who run the shop, who really have been um, sort of pining after each other for seven books. <laughs> how much do you two connect over what stories you're writing, and how, like, how, how do you plot the overall arc, or yeah. does it just... You say, I'm going to write this, and then Sue says, I'm going to write that? Or? Well, no, we did. We started with an overall arc. We always envisaged it about six full-length novellas. And we knew what would happen with Patrick and Lee and the shop, and then in amongst that. And then as you build the layers as well, it's never that straightforward. So I will bring one of her characters in. She will bring one of mine um, in Pluck and Play, which was my third title. They had a big denouement at the end with the villain, and all the different characters bundled in to play a different role in it to help out their friends. So there's a connection. It's not a whole big buddy family or anything, but they all, somebody knows somebody, which is London, really. And you said this is book seven. How yes. many more do you guys see? I don't know. I'd love to do some more. Sue's working on some 
other projects, so am I. So I, I, I mean, it's, I know we may have got to a resolution for Patrick and Lee, but I think there's still more stories, more ice creams to invent, because each one, each story has its own uh-huh. unique ice cream flavor. Um, you can have a whole side marketing thing there and sell that ice cream. We keep saying we should set the shop up ourselves. I'm going to try all the recipes this summer. I'm going to make ice wow. cream. Yeah. That'll yeah. be some good blog posts of nothing else. That's true. And you're self-publishing those titles, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've got a, my own publishing I call Jocular Press, and she self-publishes it as well. So, Just to try again, not that I would go exclusively either way at the moment. Mm-hmm. I quite like this hybrid. Hybrid it's seems safe. like a nice way to go because then yeah. you could put things out as you need to to keep your exposure up while also getting the visibility that I think some of the larger presses like Dream Spinner can bring to the table. It's definitely pluses both ways. Um, I wouldn't have tried self-publishing from a standing start because how would people know you're there? So exactly. the benefit yeah. is yeah. you're with a publisher. Plus it's fabulous to work with a professional publisher. Mm-hmm. So it, those were the benefits I think. But now I, And it's extra hassle self-publishing. But there are additional things you have immediate. to know. <laughs> it yeah. is immediate. You know, the times I've loaded something and then had to scrabble to get it back because I've missed a chapter. <laughs> oh. so, the last chapter. Yeah. So, um, but it's great to see it come up that quickly. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And you keep a little it. bit more of the money. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Little bit. I'm not it's retiring not a bad thing. yet, but it's not a bad thing. So you went full time. With writing, right? More or less, yeah. It was, uh, wasn't necessarily a decision to go full-time. It was a decision to leave the full-time job I was doing. But I thought, yes, great, time to, to write more. I'm not quite sure I'm uh, disciplined enough to be a full-time writer. I do get distracted easily. So I'm still running, you know, accountancy contract work here and there. And I'm not making enough to live on. Someday, right? Someday. I think it is a layer thing, isn't it? I think you keep going and you build um, a snowball effect. Yeah, I think that's... Because what they've been saying here most of the weekend is like, Mm. and write the next book, and write the next book, and write the next book. And that marketing is cumulative. I thought Mm -hmm. that was quite telling, something we've learned from this, wasn't it? How... You've been writing the next book for a while now. How, That's several next how, books for the how, <laughs> how many have you done in 10 years? Do you know? <laughs> Probably not. I've got about eight, eight novels. Okay, yeah. But a good 12 to 15 novellas. No, probably nearer 20. Okay. And then a small batch of short stories. Because I like that format as well. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. I like to do some longer works. What's your overall writing process? Well, I get up, I open it. Um, <laughs> I try. I'm not particularly an outliner. I'm not a plotter. But I have learned over the years that I need to have some structure because I think a lot of us, the excitement of the characters and the new idea keep you going for what I call the chapter three critical phase when it all bogs down. You know how it ends? You know how it starts? The, you know, 50,000 words in the middle the difficulty so what I do now is I I try to plan it out but fairly broadly in a three to four major moves 
then I will keep a note of the chapters within that and what's happened in them and how many words they are. I like things to be slightly, you know, regular and to build to a, not a cliffhanger necessarily, but a proper finish to each chapter. So I, I plot it a bit like that. And then I just write. Sometimes when I get stuck, I will go ahead. So I can write out of order, which I know a lot of people can. Mm. I also will do sort of sprint sessions, whereby I'll just do the dialogue. I won't bother with punctuation just to get a feel okay. and go back in and fill in because that then you can immerse yourself in the character and you can get a refresher I think of, of the excitement behind it in the story so yeah I try to I write most days most days um, probably a couple of days a week full time all through the day how long do you find that you you can actually sit and yeah. write yeah. Until you just can't anymore. Four hours is my maximum. It, for the day, or is that like for a four-hour session? And then, yeah. okay. Really, all in. And to be honest, I've rarely done more than three thousand words a day. That seems to be my, my. I come in at about two, normally. Do you tend to do writing sprints, or is it just you're sitting and you're just working, and however far you get, that's it, or? Yes, I think the, the benefit that I've developed in trying to do this sort of looking at it chapter-wise or in bits, I don't anymore write in one large manuscript either because I found that quite depressing. <laughs> I go in <laughs> I go in, in the morning, there'll be 40 pages and I'm still tinkering with the first paragraph because I get, you know, so the, I now push myself on. I say, no, we want this chapter when this is happening. And then it's just one small document, and then I will pull them together later and do the yeah. sanity check. Interesting. And so just that, as a prompt, I find that keeps me going. So you try not to edit as you go, too. I try, but it's impossible. Sure. <laughs> well, that's the joy, I think. I mean, I've done some writing here this weekend in a book. I love it on screen, because you can edit as you go. You can make sense of it. You can pop backwards and forwards easily in the chapter. I like that. Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed, actually, you were doing some chapter outlining yeah. yesterday while we were having breakfast in the book. Yeah. And it's rare to see that get written I on know, paper anymore. I know. I sometimes it's what you need because you need to just look at the words. And yet you say you don't chapter outline all I the time no, either. No. More so nowadays. Um, a shorter work, I, I think that you could do from, it would carry itself. Mm -hmm. But anything like a novel. I think needs more, a little more discipline. Yeah, otherwise, because I, I, I've got, I've become more of a plotter as I've, you know, refined my process, yeah. and now I find I really can't. I feel like it gets becomes a mishmash if I don't kind of know what's supposed to go on in the chapters. I think it, yes, I think it just makes for a better document, doesn't it? Better manuscript because it's been. I mean, all of fiction is contrived, mm -hmm. <laughs> so contrive it properly. <laughs> sort of thing. Um, That's called a t-shirt. You know, contrive it properly. probably Do a good contrivance. Um, you should get Damon to add that to yeah. his presentation. Yes. Yes. But you do. You want. You do want the fire as well. Yes. And you can plot yourself out of excitement, can't you? 
people, some authors will say plotting it takes away the spirit of a spontaneity. But I think there's still, as long as you leave yourself room. Yeah. I'm happy to add another chapter if I yeah. all of a sudden go, hmm, this might be really good here. Let's drop that in and write it. And don't you find as you as you write, particularly dialogue, I find it's it's taking on a life of its own, and your characters are not they're not writing the book. You're writing the book, but they're saying, you know, you're finding a little bit of a banter that wasn't there, or mm -hmm. yeah, I like that. Oh man, I had a question and I lost it. Damn, sorry, I distracted you. <laughs> no, it's like it was a very sudden. Like I lost it. Sort of. What advice, this is this was the question, mm. in terms of going full-time, what advice mm. do you have to somebody who's thinking about making that leap to trying to make writing the full-time well, gig? It's quite easy, because you have to win the lottery. <laughs> and then, no, it's, I mean, it's... I would love that. <laughs> I mean, you can't say, can you? But I, I, I personally feel that you want some, you don't want the money worry. I've known people who are writing purely to keep going financially. So if there's any way of already having some income behind you or a partner or savings or something to give it a go, because I mean, think like we were just saying about being a hybrid author, you haven't got control over the timing of money, anything to do right. with retail. You haven't got control right, yeah. over it at all. Um, so if that were possible, and I also think you have to feel relatively confident in your writing you know everybody loves what they do and you love it to start with but i think after a while if you've built a craft behind you you are more confident in what you're producing that will, will sell or will. and that you know you can yes. produce it yes that if you've said to dream spinner or or even in your own publishing schedule it i will have this fifty thousand word thing done mm -hmm. by may 1st you know that you can do That's it. That's a huge motivation for me. I am I am not brilliant at oh I've got four months. <laughs> so it's oh it's gonna be in by Tuesday. So I'm much more <laughs> it does concentrate my mind. I know I'm not so daft now that I think I can write fifty thousand words in four days, but it's I think it's that. I also think that because like you said, something just sprang into my mind, another author said to me, You don't know what you don't know. So when you start, you don't know what you can produce. You don't know how well you work. You don't know if your first novel was that break breakout novel, mm -hmm. the Fifty Shades equivalent, you, yeah. you know, you or could. The Martian even, because yeah. The Martian was, yes. I think, his first novel that he self-published, and then it, you know he's up for an Oscar. God. <laughs> no, I wish him all the best. <laughs> I think you have to be very honest with yourself as well. I think you have to know what you are like. You have to know if you've got the discipline, if it's really what you want. Um, you know, writing isn't joy all the time, is it? <laughs> well, it's much of the time. It's slog, it's work, it's a job as well. It's, it's a very solitary occupation. You know, all those things, I think, you have to look at. And I, as I say, I'm not sure I would want to do it solely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you work to deadlines, when you don't. And it sounds like you've struck a nice balance between taking on accountancy contracts that you yeah. will do, but then deciding how much time you're going to spend writing. 
mean, it's absolutely the best thing I ever did was leaving. Well, I, you know, I have done a fair few years as well, so I think it had come to a right time and it was all amicable and everything. Um, but yes, I do still like the figures as well as the words. So that's fun. I'm also uh, promoting helping authors. So that's rather with their accounts. So that's rather a lovely way to blend the two. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm enjoying that. And I just like a lot of things in life. I think you want, you need a broadish life to write well. I, I think, in my own opinion. And you're active in the UK writing community too. Yeah. With the romance writers that are over there. Yeah. We've, that, we've been marvelous to see that grow over the last few years because when I started, I didn't know any other authors at all anywhere near me. All my friends, and particularly fan fiction, were all over here in the US so that's been great and then I'm on the committee for organizing the UK meet each year where we gather together up to 150 fans of, of LGBT fiction completely egalitarian it's it, if you want to come and you can get a ticket come you don't have to be an author you don't have to be you know you can be a friend of an author it really is a just one ticket one person but you come along and you meet others. It's a network fun weekend. Where is the UK meet this year? It's Southampton. Okay, awesome. And when? So it's, it's in first weekend of September. Join the waiting list if you're interested. Waiting list we already. We sold out in 24 hours. Congratulations. Which was marvelous. Uh, and it's not always the same people. A lot of people um, are coming for the first time again. We've got a clutch of people from the US are coming over, which is brilliant. How, is there a difference in readers? Like the readers that you'll meet, like let's say at GRL or another mm. US event, mm. are there different characteristics mm. with UK? Mm. Mm. Do tell. They're quieter. <laughs> They're quieter. <laughs> the UKs are quieter? <laughs> the UKs are a little, little quieter. They don't squeak quite so much. <laughs> <laughs> some of us do some of us do like me yeah I think I think so they may be a little shyer because it's not I don't we don't tend to go in for those conventions over there anyway I think people are maybe a little more nervous of of coming out and joining other people that they don't know and so it's been really nice we've promoted that Lot of, the one thing that you hear every year is, oh, I, I don't, I'm not good with crowds. I'm not good with people. And then they come and they have a ball. And it's, That's awesome. Yeah, and it's really nice. And they say, I'm so glad we plucked up the courage just to come and say hello. Because you could, we, we'd make a big thing of you can be as sociable or as unsociable as you like. Mm -hmm. But the readers, yeah, again, I think it's a growing market. I'm really pleased with Dream Spinners sort of support of international authors, not just the US. Uh -huh. Although the, well, it's always going to be a larger market here because you've got more people. Right, right. But you get all of Europe to pull from I too. I know, it's a huge tradition of reading and it is seen by the way that foreign translations are doing well. You know, we, we Brits do get a little bit arrogant thinking everybody will read in English. Well, probably the US as well. <laughs> So it's brilliant to hear that people do. And yes, we've got the whole of Europe. What do you find you, that you're, when you're put, as you get people in for the UK meet? You mentioned some coming from the US. What about yeah. the surrounding 
Yeah, reasonable amount as well from mainland Europe. Uh, it's mostly UK, I think. We've had from Australia, we've had attendees from Australia and Canada, some Canadians this year. I mean, the That's first cool. year we did it, or the second it was, we were in Brighton. There were just two guys in town for the weekend, <laughs> visiting family or something, who came along, who saw the notice somewhere on, online and just dropped in. Because in those <laughs> days, we didn't sell out in advance. That's Marvelous. nice being able to drop in. Yeah. It's not a, you know, it's not a public event. It's not really a selling opportunity. We don't open to the public because, again, I think our attendees like to to feel that it's their area and it's their safe space. Right. Not that you're doing anything particularly unsafe, but that it's a safe space well, that to relax. You are there, perhaps, you know, none of your friends know you read that I think kind of so. book. Or... Although, you know, it's a book. But that's the whole joy of ebook. You know, that anybody can read anything and you don't know what they're reading anymore. Yeah. So I think it has been very, again, empowering to readers as well. So to swing a little bit back towards your books. Yeah, sorry. No, <laughs> not at all. You're, you're, you're talking exactly where we, where we lead you. Yes. What do you think the trademark of a Claire London book is? Well, having just sat through a very useful session on branding, <laughs> creating yes, my Yes, what are your niche. brand promises? Yeah, what are my brand promises? <laughs> well, I, um, when I started writing, I did go for a generic setting because again, most of the readers were US. Mm -hmm. and so nowadays though, I'm really enjoying writing from a Brit point of view. Yeah. My characters are English people, British people, or they are living in Britain as well, because I do like different, well, I live in a city that's made up of all different nationalities and different types of people. <laughs> so I, I like to reflect that. So that I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying, I never wrote high melodrama very much so i quite enjoy it's not exactly rom-com it's a little there can be more drama than that but i like that domestic just people finding out about each other and, and discovering romance now you mentioned one of your evolutions was you went from a generic place to writing about london and yeah. the uk how else has your writing evolved and changed over the 10 years in ways that you've been able to notice it's got much better. <laughs> you know, it's much better crafted. I look back on the mistakes I made then. Uh, well, I, I mean, I don't think anybody minded. And you read some very good stuff now, or well-respected stuff that's not necessarily beautifully written. Um, I think I've, I'm trying to refine connecting with the reader. So those things I think I quite enjoy have changed. It used to be, from my point of view, what I was enjoying to write. Mm -hmm. So now I think I'm... And I want... Yeah, I don't know, because I still write very much the same stuff. It's still romance. Better crafted. Better settings. I used to be infamous for everything happened in three rooms. Really. <laughs> I'm not known for the depth of my research. <laughs> So it's, that's why I write contemporary, because I understand that. Um, and it was just three rooms, you know, one of which was usually the kitchen. And I'll leave you to worry about the others. And so it was, 
I'm happier now. I'm more confident mm-hmm. in taking it outside and bringing in different and different characters as well. Fan fiction, you, again, you get frustrated that it's always the same characters. I mean, that's the joy of it, but that's also the frustration of it. Mm-hmm. So it's been fun to to open that out. Different lengths of fiction. I like to write short. I think that's a much maligned uh, category. And as we found out here, at least novellas, which are not super short in some cases, no. are in demand. Yeah. I mean, that's a lovely length as well, novella, which is what, say, what well, could be 15 up to 50. Yeah, they were. Cla- that's how they were classifying it yesterday. Yeah. So, I mean, in that time, you can get a good plot arc. Mm-hmm. You can have several characters, because I think that one of the characteristics of longer works is the secondary characters, because, my God, I love my secondary characters. So... Um, you don't want them to run away with the book, but you want enough. Nobody exists in that bubble, but there's only mm-hmm. the two of you and whatever. Right. So novella to novel gives you that chance, I think. In series, too, because you must do that all the time with With a Kick, that somebody who showed up in book one may get their story in book four or whatever. Yeah, I, I love that as well. It's the sort of, oh, look, there's Curtis who delivers to the shop or Riley who played the cowboy who plays his guitar outside or those sorts of and the, the Turkish restaurant in number one that comes up all the time because the Turkish brothers are impossible. They're wonderful, but they're impossible. So, yeah, it's, it's, um, I like that. I, I think that's the type of series I enjoy writing, not the one that takes the same two characters through mm-hmm. different yeah. uh, situations. Because once you've got them together... I write romance, you know, once exactly. you've got them together, it, yeah. you don't want to rip them apart just to bring them back. Right, because that would be, be disruptive. That would be too contrived. Uh, contrived yeah. contrived in the wrong way. Too <laughs> yeah. Improperly. Yeah, it just... So, where can people find you online? Okay, well, I have the website www.clairelondon.com. I'm also launching a new pen name, London Sinclair, where my... Harlequin style romances will be. So that's what your dream spun will be? Yeah. Okay. So that's uh, currently male male, but who knows in the future. I'm also on Facebook, Claire London, Twitter, Claire underscore London, Goodreads, Amazon author page. We'll link up to all that good stuff in our show notes. (laughs) You're getting your SEO together as we learned yesterday. Yeah, hey, that's Dream Spinner Author Arcade. That's another, yeah. Let's yeah. not forget that one, because Poppy will come get us. To, mm. We're looking forward to that new version. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, Claire, thank you so much for no, joining thank us. thank you. It's been a treat to sit in the sunshine. So thank you for, to uh, Claire for taking the time to sit down with us for an extended interview like that. I, I love Claire to pieces. She's literally one of my most favorite people ever. <laughs> Mine too. So I'm glad that we got to sit down and talk to her about the... Um, sort of the breadth of her career and how she's, you know, she's been doing it for a while. Yeah, and how she essentially keeps morphing. Yeah, keeps changing things up. Yep. Anyway, so uh, now let's get on to this week's question of the week. Uh, This week's question comes from Katie, one of our listeners, and she wanted to know, um, she said she has a friend who loves the darker side of MM romance. Some favorites are Jack L. Pike and Joseph Lance Tonlet. What are some others that 
you listeners might recommend. Yeah. This one's hard for us. Um, first, I didn't know these authors, so I did a little research. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack L. Pike has a series called Don't. Uh, and I, the blurb to that first book in that series is, For Jack, BDSM is a way to resist his worst impulses. Yet the stranger, calling himself the unknown, seeks to use that to seduce him. As Jack slips further down into the abyss, two men hold the power to save him. And then there's Joseph Lance Tonlet, whose Griff's toy comes with the tagline of tease and denial. So we can certainly see the darker side here that Katie's talking about, I think. But this is not really an area that either of us reads. Mm-mm. No, not really. So I don't have any actual recommendations. I don't think dark romance necessarily means BDSM or S&M necessarily. Um, but still, I don't read dark romance or dark fiction in general. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. So, listeners... This one's all on you. <laughs> tell us. We got nothing. We got so. nothing. So it's up to you to tell to give Katie and her friends some recommendations. Yes. So you can leave those on this episode's show notes at biggayfiction.com for episode 27. And we'll make sure, you know, we'll, we'll call out a few on, on episode 28. And we'll give Katie and her friends some recommendations, I hope. Yeah, I hope so. I hope, uh, look forward to hearing about what... what Give us some good recommendations, but also what do you consider to be dark, darker or dark romance? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Does that include certain kinds of paranormal or horror or I don't, I don't even know. Yeah, I could, I could, I kind of went, when I first saw the question and hadn't done the research, I was thinking maybe horror a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So help us out, guys. Yeah. So, yeah. Next week, we will recap Rainbow Book Fair. Yeah. And the shows that we saw in New York mm-hmm. and the rest of that trip. Yeah, should be fun. Should be fun. And whatever else comes up between here and there. Yeah. I ho- Well, I hope it's fun. <laughs> Traveling... Traveling across the country isn't my absolute favorite thing in the whole world to do, but yeah, and you just and we just did it a month ago. Yeah, I know. and I know that's not your favorite thing. Okay, as we wrap up the show, I want to remind everyone that your reviews are greatly appreciated. If you take a few moments out of your day uh, to show your appreciation for the show by leaving a review at iTunes, yes, that, or awesome. or wherever you listen to the show at, because almost all those places have uh, review capability. Also remember, uh, if you drop by BigGayFictionPodcast.com to sign up for the newsletter. Because we do send that out every month. Yes. So that'll do it for us. Yeah. We will see you when we get back from vacation. See you next time, guys. Thank you for listening to Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. For detailed show notes, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com.